You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist for The Post. Our guest today is one of the world's most respected economists, Lawrence Summers, former Treasury Secretary under President Clinton, a director of the National Economic Council under President Obama, President Emeritus of Harvard University, and also a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live, Mr. Secretary. Good to be with you, David. So let's start uh, with today's news. President Biden is meeting today with Fed Chairman Jay Powell. Uh, You've had some significant criticisms of both regarding inflation. I just wanna ask uh, what you'd like to see come out of this meeting and specifically, what do you hope uh, Fed Chairman Powell will say to the president about what he's doing? <laughs> I think that uh, the president's uh, column uh, today in the Wall Street Journal articulated the right broad uh, principles that inflation is now our preeminent short-run economic problem, that it has to take priority over other problems, that the first part of any strategy for it has to be monetary policy, that the president has to respect the independence of the Federal Reserve as the Federal Reserve does what's necessary to contain uh, inflation. Frankly, it's been my view that the Fed was way slow to recognize the gravity of the gathering uh, inflation storm even though there was substantial evidence of it. But I've been heartened in recent uh, weeks and even the last several months by Chairman Powell's statements about the importance and centrality of inflation. I think the question is gonna come in terms of policy uh, going forward. I think the right presumption is that you have to increase interest rates by more than inflation has gone up if you want to have any prospect of containing inflation. And inflation has gone up a lot. It depends on what measure you use. You can find measures where it's gone up 7%. I think that's an exaggeration. But it's hard to find a measure where inflation's gone up less than three or four uh, percentage points. And I think that's the kind of increase in interest rates that at a minimum we're gonna need if we're gonna have a prospect of containing uh, inflation. Unless, of course, uh, the economy heads towards recession um, on uh, its own, which given the turbulence in the stock market and given some of the disturbing indicators about uh, consumer confidence, is also a possibility. But I think that we need to recognize that a soft landing is going to be very difficult uh, in uh, these circumstances. That's a a pretty uh, pessimistic forecast. If I hear you right, either we're going to have a recession from external causes, disruptions in the global economy, or we're going to have such substantial increases in U.S. interest rates because of Fed policy on the order of 4% that it seems almost certain to produce a recession. 
So is that something that our viewers should just assume is in the future uh, as a result of policy or just circumstances in the world? David, nothing is certain in economics. And so no forecast should be made with greater than a 75 or 80 percent probability. But we do know this. Uh, we know, as your clip introducing this uh, quoted me as saying, that when inflation's been above 4% and unemployment's been below 4%, we've always had a recession within the last next two years. And right now, inflation is well above 4% and unemployment is properly measured well below 4%. So I think the likelihood is that we're not gonna get through this uh, with a soft landing. Now, the consensus forecast is more optimistic uh, than that, and it may turn out to be uh, correct. But my own judgment is that given where we have been, uh, it is going to be very difficult uh, to um, get, through, get through this, that we now have wage inflation running at a close to 6% rate, and the tightest labor markets we've ever seen in our country. And I don't see how we can get inflation to substantially decelerate without wage inflation falling substantially. And I don't see any reason to think wage inflation will fall substantially unless there's a substantial loosening uh, in labor markets, which would mean higher unemployment. You, as you said, have been a, a very frank critic of Fed Chairman Powell. It's also the case that you've been discussed for at least a decade as a possible Fed Chairman yourself. I want to ask, without uh, specific criticism of, of Powell, what you would do if you were Fed Chairman now that isn't being done? Are there additional instruments, tools that could be used? that might uh, smooth this process and make it a little less bumpy? I don't think there are additional uh, instruments for the Fed uh, to use. Uh, I think that I would distinguish somewhat more sharply between um, the quantitative easing policies with respect to mortgage securities and with respect to treasuries than the Fed has, because I think that needlessly exacerbated uh, the housing uh, bubble. I do think there needs to be considerable soul searching at uh, the Fed as to how they missed this as badly as they did. They were declaring that inflation would be transitory through most of 2021 even as it was becoming clearer to clearer and clearer to a growing number of observers that inflation was not on a path to being purely transitory. So I think some review of the modeling and forecasting techniques that uh, the Fed uses is in order. And I think it would give confidence that these kinds of mistakes um, are less likely to be uh, repeated uh, in the future. 
You know, David, I did an experiment. I'm not sure it was done exactly right. And I'm sure there are people who would uh, quibble with the way it was done. But I asked a research assistant to take the FURBUS, F-R-B-U-S, macroeconometric model and take that model and simulate a hypothetical experiment in which we added 10% of the budget deficit every year for six or seven years and say what happened to inflation. And that model said that the inflation rate at the end of those six or seven years would go up by 70 basis points. Well, if that's even close to right, that says much more about the FRB US model <laughs> that is used at the Fed than it says about uh, the US economy. So I think there does need to be some soul searching here at the Fed, some after action uh, analysis of what has happened. Now, it may be that that is uh, underway, and I know that. Chairman Powell and others at the Fed are always looking for outside advice as to uh, as to what best uh, to uh, to do. Um, but I think that is um, something that would be in order. Just uh, curious whether uh, they, uh, Fed Chairman Powell and others at the Fed, have sought your advice. You indisputably. Got this David, right. I've got, a, I've got a longstanding. I've got a longstanding rule that when I talk to officials uh, in government, I don't discuss it with the Washington Post or other journalistic uh, outlets. So I'm just not going to answer that question. Well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, uh, but uh, but we'll we'll ex accept that. So let me just dial back to your earliest warnings uh, in February of. 2021, a month after President Biden took office, you uh, frankly warned at the time that he was crafting his stimulus package that the stimulus he was proposing could, and I'm quoting here, set off inflationary pressures of a kind we have not seen in a generation. As we've discussed uh, painfully, uh, th that warning was correct. I, I'm curious what you heard uh, from the administration, or if you don't want to talk about that, what your sense is of, of whether they fully took that in. It didn't seem that, uh, that that was the case for at least six months. David, I'm happy to talk economics with you. I'm not going to talk. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the personalities and politics uh, within the within the administration. Okay. Let me let me introduce another another personality, one that we know well, the Washington Post, and that's Jeff Bezos. Um, you publicly uh, criticized Jeff, former uh, CEO of, of Amazon, now owner of the Washington Post, uh, for a, a tweet that he had made uh, that uh, questioned uh, whether raising taxes was uh, effective as an anti-inflation measure. And you said, and I'm quoting here, in your tweet, it's perfectly reasonable to raise taxes to reduce demand to contain inflation, and the increases should be as progressive as possible. Explain that and why you thought it was appropriate to take issue with Bezos's tweet. Bezos 
who's obviously a leading figure uh, in the country by virtue of being uh, its second wealthiest uh, citizen, attacked the administration by saying that it was wrongheaded, I don't remember exactly what word he used, confused to conflate the discussion of tax policy with uh, the discussion of uh, inflation, that they were somehow completely separate and that it was misleading and disingenuous of the administration <laughs> to suggest otherwise. I thought that was just wrong. I thought that it was very natural to think of reducing demand as an important part of any inflation strategy and that it was very reasonable to think of tax increases as an appropriate part of a strategy for reducing demand. So I didn't think the argument which was being widely discussed was a logical one and I thought it was appropriate uh, to point that out. On this uh, question of uh, stimulus and the administration's uh, not only stimulus uh, legislation that was passed, but plans for additional uh, significant stimulus on the order of $2 trillion, I'm just wondering whether you think, uh, in your view, the nation owes Senator Joe Manchin, who was the principal uh, opponent of the additional uh, spending, a vote of thanks for avoiding something that could have contributed even more seriously to the inflation problem we're experiencing now. I've got great respect for uh, Senator Manchin, and I thought that a compromise between Senator Manchin and the administration, uh, if it had been worked out, could have been a very important contributor to economic policy and to. <laughs> Excuse me, David. To macroeconomic uh, stabilization uh, in our country. The difference between the Rescue Act, which I was very critical of, and the Build Back Better Act was that the Build Back Better proposals were paid for. That, yes, the government spending was going to increase demand, but the tax increases were going to reduce uh, demand. And so I think the right program of raising taxes and making necessary public investments um, would have been a very important uh, step forward. It would have been an important step forward for the environment in important respects. It could have been an important uh, step forward on poverty uh, reduction. And I'm sorry that it didn't take place. I don't think it would have been appropriate to have done it in a way that had further stimulated the economy, but that was not a necessary part of the kind of public investment program that the administration was advocating. Let me uh, ask you, Mr. Secretary, to, to go back to the question of inflation uh, and, and help us think about the trajectory downwards. Uh, inflation fell a little bit in April to 8.3%, but it's still near a 40-year high. Um, I'm curious, uh, you talked about significant additional interest rate increases. If that program that you advocate was followed, how long do you think it would take 
to bring in inflation down? David, it's very hard to say because uh, nobody can forecast what's going to happen to oil prices. Nobody can forecast what's going to happen to commodity prices. There are things that right now are very much in the realm of uh, geopolitics. It's very difficult to forecast what's going to happen to expectations. What I'd be watching is what's going to happen in the labor market. And I don't think there's a durable reduction in inflation without a meaningful reduction in wage growth. And right now, with the labor market so tight, I don't see such a meaningful reduction in uh, wage growth uh, taking place. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it will. And there are some signs that some firms that were very short on labor three months ago are now reporting that, if anything, they uh, no longer have a big problem in hiring workers. So perhaps we will see a disinflationary uh, process start to take hold. But I would be surprised if uh, this year, like last year, we didn't have inflation way, way above uh, the 2% target. And it would surprise me if we returned to the 2% target next year. You were very critical of a recent Congressional Budget Office uh, forecast, which was way more optimistic than what you just said, uh, which uh, predicted that uh, by the fourth quarter of this year, year over year, uh, inflation will drop to 4%. And a year after that, in the fourth quarter of 2023, will we'll fall to 2.3%. You said that was the least plausible CBO forecast that you could remember in 40 years. Uh, just ex- expand on that a little bit. That was such an extraordinary uh, upbeat account. Why do you think it was uh, so wrong? So, by the way, in fairness, I think the CBO has been a bastion of credibility over time. So. Most of its forecasts have been eminently reasonable and honest and, you know, very sound forecasts. So least plausible coming from uh, the CBO is a little bit like LeBron James's worst game. Um, there's a very high standard that it's being uh, that it's being compared to. But I go back to the basic logic of economic One logic is some kind of Phillips curve that says wage inflation is unlikely to slow when the labor market is overheated. And price inflation can't slow that much if wage inflation is very high. Another way of looking at this is to look at the behavior of interest rates, whereas, you know, David, economists focus on the real interest rate the interest rate subtracting the inflation rate, the interest rate in terms of purchasing uh, power. And those are at extraordinarily low levels by historical standards right now. And usually easy money, which is manifest in low real interest rates, shows up as uh, higher inflation. So in the absence of positive real interest rates, in the presence of 
overheated labor markets. I'm not sure why one would form as one's best guess the idea that uh, the economy would be very strong, but inflation would not uh, come down. We don't have any examples historically where inflation has come down very substantially without meaningful economic uh, slack. And I'm not sure what the basis is for thinking that this will be uh, the first uh, the first time. Now, in fairness, uh, mine is a more pessimistic uh, than consensus uh, view. And you know that that kind of view proved to be right uh, a year ago. I hope it won't prove to be right uh, now, but I fear that it will. Let me ask you, as we near the end of our of our time, uh, to talk about another interesting criticism you made recently of economic policy. The, the headline was that you were criticizing hipster antitrust policies from the administration that could could drive inflation higher. But I, I want to quote your comment in full because it's interesting and then just ask you to, to explain it. You were responding to a speech by Assistant Attorney General Jonathan Cantor, uh, who talked about the, his concerns about private equity, among other things. And what you said is what's badly misguided and potentially dangerous to our economic future is the set of doctrines that people jokingly refer to as hipster antitrust. That's a theory that says antitrust shouldn't be about maximizing benefits to consumers, but about other uh, objectives, such as dealing with private equity. And then you said that tilts very easily into a kind of dangerous populism. As a clear warning, I want to ask you if you'd explain to our viewers a little more what you're concerned about. Sure, David. I am all for competition. I think we've not enforced the antitrust law vigorously enough in this country for some substantial number of years. I think mergers, for example, mergers of major hospitals within the same city that create large amounts of monopoly power should be uh, subject to attack and more attack than they have been uh, in uh, the past. Those are attacks on monopolies that raise prices. There's another older idea about antitrust. It's the idea that says we shouldn't let Walmart expand because it hurts small merchants. It's the idea that says that firms that are able to produce more efficiently, but because they're producing more efficiently, need fewer workers shouldn't be allowed to realize uh, that economy. It's the argument that says that firms that are able to be aggressive about reducing prices shouldn't be able uh, to do that. Those theories, which are basically theories that lower prices are bad, seem to me to usually not be in our broad economic interest. And certainly by definition, when they're saying that lower prices are bad, are a negative from the point of view of reducing inflation. And I think in the writings of the FTC chair, and at least as I interpreted some of what was said in that speech, 
those arguments um, seem to potentially be present. But look, uh, it is early days yet. We'll have to see. It's the deeds that matter, uh, not uh, the words. But I think that we all want to be able to agree, wherever exactly we are on the political spectrum, that if you're making things better for consumers by reducing prices, that's presumptively good. And if you're raising prices, that's presumptively bad. And that if government is going to start interfering with efforts to reduce prices, it had better be awfully, awfully careful. So fascinating comment. Uh, this is a rare discussion about economics that I wish could go on for uh, another hour. I want to thank uh, my friend Larry Summers for joining us to discuss uh, these issues. Thanks for being with us. I, I hope you come back. David, good to be with you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.